first day of 2023. I'm sure that it is a conversation. Well, I don't know how well or how diligently you do New Year's resolutions, and we don't do self-help here. Uh, we do gospel here, but um, nonetheless, we do believe that Jesus wants us to grow. He wants us to be free from bondage, uh, and the scripture is very clear that debt is bondage, and it does affect our life, and it uh, can suck the life out of us, and as you saw in those videos, and, and as many of you know, uh, it can be a source of conflict in your marriage, in your life, and, and really uh, your blood pressure and all sorts of things, a weight bearing down on you. And so uh, the Bible does indeed have hope and instruction and practical wisdom for that that runs countercultural. Uh, and we want to uh, lean into that. And so I'm excited to be able to offer you guys an opportunity to walk through Financial Peace University. We had this slotted to do in the summer of uh, 2020. And then, you know, all things happened. Uh, and so that was a long time ago. But um, now we have a new opportunity. So um, Michael and Caitlin Reyes are in the back. I'm going to have them stand up. So they have been certified as instructors and they are leading an online class. So y'all could see them now, know who they are. That's who will be leading our class and they will be, or not our class, they're just leading a class and we have an opportunity to send our people to it. So they'll be out in the lobby. You guys can sit down. Um, They'll be out in the lobby today to receive you and answer any questions you may have. But that class starts this Thursday. So it's Thursday night, 730. Is that right, guys? Uh, Thursday night, it's online. So you don't have to leave your home. You You can join Uh, them online as they walk through Financial Peace University. So I would strongly encourage you um, as a people to make that a priority, to to lean in and and to attend that class. If the registration fee is an issue, the church will gladly float that for you. And we want to encourage and make way for our people to grow in financial freedom. We believe that God has called us to be generous and active and proactive with our funds. And so, so many times his people are so strapped down with debt that they're unable to live that out. So for your own uh, peace of mind, your own flourishing, but also for the good of the kingdom, for the health of the church, uh, we want to make this resource available to you. So if you've got any questions, see them afterward. There's sign-up opportunities. They can walk you through that out there at the Welcome Center as well. They'll they'll be hanging um, and get your information, help you get signed up. Um, I encourage you to do that. And then additionally, we're going to be spending time in Deuteronomy 6 today. And so... We, um, and we're going to be talking about what we hope is another uh, opportunity for you to implement something new into your uh, family's life, to your home uh, in 2023. And so we are excited to, to be shifting a, a bit in the church to uh, focus and hopefully encourage and equip um, some more at-home discipleship. And one of the ways we want to do that is by doing the, the a catechism together. And that may be a weird word for many of you. That may be a new word for many of you. Or that may feel like a Catholic word for some of you. Uh, it may have all kinds of things. Maybe you've never heard of it. It's just a fun word. And, um, but we are going to lean in together and walk through a, a simple uh, once, one question per week catechism. Um, and we want you all to do that in your homes. We want to set you up well for that. Uh, but we're going to try to uh, integrate it into the life of our church. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And here's why. So as Deuteronomy 6 lays out for us, it's, the, it's a famous passage, the great Shema. Uh, Jews uh, recite this quite regularly, and, um, and it is a part of their culture. But it is nonetheless famous in, in Deuteronomy 6 as a, an instruction for the people of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. And so if you know the narrative, God getting them out of slavery, leading them to the promised land, then them having to wander in the desert for 40 years, 
before they were actually able to go in as, as a discipline. All of that is formative. All of that is God forming for himself a people that he intends to bless, that he intends to walk with and, and bless as a people. He says, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. This is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. That's, that's uh, Bible speak for like prosperity and goodness, right? Uh, and so he, this is his plan. But he says, as you do this, it's not all just hunky-dory. Like you can't coast now. And this is so important because so often we think, okay, we're saved, meaning we've made a profession of faith. We know Jesus. We're, we're, we're a Christian now. Okay, we just coast. What do I do? I, I, I go to church when I can, and um, you know, I, I'm, I live by Christian morals, and, and that's kind of like a bare minimum deal, and, and that's, that's what we do. But he doesn't say, okay, we got you out of Egypt. You're no longer in danger there. We're putting you in the promised land. You guys will be good. I'll see you in heaven. No, he gives them an instruction, and he says, listen, now, if you want to keep this thing on track and not end up back in bondage, you need to be diligent to keep this good news of the gospel. And it is good news because it is God's work, right? And so this is where we get, it, it, because the gospel is a gift, we don't work to earn it. Sometimes we don't think we need to work at all. We don't think we need to do any effort to follow Jesus. And so it is good news because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who's done the work, and he has given himself fully for our salvation. And so that can lead us to feel like, okay, well, we don't have to do anything, but, but it, it doesn't quite work that way. If we lean in and keep that good news, the incredible news of the gospel before us, and in front of us regularly, it compels us to live our life in faithfulness. And that is what Moses is calling his people to as they are about to enter into the promised land. And what he says is, hey, this is the commandment in Deuteronomy 6, uh, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you are going over, that you may fear the Lord your God. This has been a theme that we've seen uh, in Malachi, you see it all throughout the scripture, that you may make sure that the fear of the Lord stays central in your life, that you don't begin to replace it with anything else, right? The fear of what other people would think, the fear of not having the nicest stuff, the fear of fill in the blank. Make sure that the fear of the Lord stays central in your life, that you and your son and your son's son. So God is talking to them about a legacy here. He's talking to them about a plan and a purpose that is well beyond them. Okay? He wants them to be thinking about what does this, how are we living now and how is it going to be impacting those that are two, three, four generations removed. So that your son and your son's son, uh, by keeping all God's statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that, <clears throat> that your days may be long. So there's even a promise of that. He wants this to go well. So hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so he's saying, this is what I'm going to have you do. And he's going to go on to say, you should be putting these things before us all the time. So we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But here's a, here's a shift that I think we have to acknowledge, and that we are going to try to be intentional about pushing back against this year and in the, the future of the journey at large. Uh, somewhere along the way, and, and, and we could spend some time tracing the the, the church history and the trends of, 
of church growth and consumerism and, and the posture of churches and performing and kind of competing or whatever and, and the way that churches have kind of evolved into show. And anyway, somewhere along the way, what, what we've, we've said to people is, hey, you, you bring your family, you bring your friends and we'll do the work of ministry, just bring them to church. And, and we've kind of just professionalized this or clericalized the, the discipleship of the deal and, and, and we think, okay, what, what's our role? Well, we bring ourselves and our family and those that we can to church. And, and again, wherever that trend and that arc you know, goes away, I, I'm not sure, and it's, we can't spend too much time unpacking it, but the Bible puts an emphasis on the people of God doing the ministry of God, and, and particularly on the discipleship of God's people happening primarily in the home. That the way that God has set up his is people to be formed, right, to be shaped, to be instructed, has actually been primarily to happen in the home, and we come to the church for our corporate instruction, for our encouragement, for our growth, for our equipping, but the actual on-the-ground discipleship is the primary responsibility of the adults, the parents, particularly the men in the home responsibility. Not that, not that the, the, the other spouse isn't active and, and a part of it, but, um, but God is, is going to look to the head of the household and say, okay, what, what have you done to carry out this command to make sure that not only you are faithful, but your son and your son's son. And so what we've got is a culture that is used to outsourcing discipleship. We're used to, well, let's take our kids to church, and Rachel and her team and the volunteers, they, they will disciple our kids, right? Or let's bring our teens to church, make sure they go to youth group. Chad and, and his team, they will disciple our kids. We have an outsourcing mentality to, how do I, how do I teach my kid, how do I form my kid? I want, I want to, here, let me send them there. Now listen, we're not doing away with those ministries. They serve a purpose, but we want to make sure that they are supplementing the primary discipleship that is happening in your home, and that we are equipping you as parents, to do that well. And I know, as well as anybody, that, listen, this is countercultural, that this is um, not something that a lot of us were raised in or equipped to do, okay? And I also know it's, not, it's something not a lot of us are, are doing well, that, that we need regular encouragement. I, I was, I was uh, honestly, I was convicted last week because after I talked about my family watching the Nativity story as a, as a as a uh, tradition in our home on Christmas Eve, some of you were like, oh man, you're such a good, whatever, you're such a good family. We were watching something goofy or whatever. And I was like, whoa, 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 I painted the wrong picture. Like, we're not that holy. Like, yeah, we, do, we did that. We watched the nativity story, but my kids had just got tablets and they were like on them half the time. And if you looked at our Advent, like, like readings over, it was terrible this year. Like we did a really bad job of staying consistent with our Advent readings, our family discipleship over the course of December. And so like we struggle with this. This is something that, that I need accountability, that I need encouragement to do. And it's so critical in this moment. It's always been critical, but listen, church, we, just, we did a series on gender. We did it, we, we're we're going to continue to address the big questions that our culture is asking. But I think we are in an age where not only like truth at large is being questioned and dismissed, and that is leading to our faith being challenged in a way on the ground practically that I don't know that many uh, generations before have, have quite experienced that level 
uh, here in America. And so I, we're, we're going to need more than just kind of pithy sayings and basics of the faith. We're going to need to be able to stand firm in the current of a culture that is moving swiftly against the kingdom of God. And if we're going to do that, we need to have a firm foundation. We need to be able to stand. And so our hope is to equip and, and encourage and and, and lean in to home discipleship and to play a part and really push back against. We're not going to stop doing anything. Like, we're not going to uh, change, you know, doing what we do here on Sunday mornings. We want to add to an encouragement and an equipping for the home and really come alongside, as Ephesians would say, that our role as staff, as pastors, as elders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we want to try to do that well. We want to try to be honest about that, have honest conversations about the challenges that that come. But to be practical, and it really start, I think, with a really accessible opportunity. Really excited to uh, launch with you all the New City Catechism. So um, you last, if you are here last week, you got a book or you were offered a book on the way out. If not, they're here today. Um, and this is simply a 52-question-and-answer um, guide. We'll do one per week. It is a very simple uh, series of questions that are meant for the instruction, for the foundation building of our faith. So what is a catechism? Uh, catechesis comes from the Greek word meaning instruction by mouth. That's what we see Moses commanding here in Deuteronomy 6, isn't it? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Um, we're told in Colossians that, that the word of God should dwell within us richly. Right, that it, it should be something that is in us. How do we do that? How do we how do we make sure it's dwelling within us? Well, we need to make sure that it's it's getting in us some way. Right? We know that out of the heart the mouth speaks. We know that it matters what's inside of us. Right? But how do we have a, a, an intentional um, system to get the word of God inside of us? Well, that's part of what the catechism is set up to do. Because he says these words shall be on your heart. Verse seven: You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. And so he's saying, don't forget what the Lord has done, who the Lord is and what he's promised, what he's commanded and make sure that it is ever on your tongue, ever in instruction in your home to be teaching yourself and your family, who the Lord is, who we are as a result of being the Lord's and what he has called us to do. So uh, catechesis is, is from the, the Greek word instruction by mouth. It's a historic uh, teaching method. It's not just Catholics. They're, they're kind of known for it being more part of their church life, but lots of traditions have, have embraced this, and, and this one was written with... Um, with our theology in mind and with an, a, a really accessible, modern language, simple and approachable way. Uh, it's, it's really similar to some of the ancient catechisms. Uh, <clears throat> Calvin's shorter one, or Luther's shorter catechism and the Heidelberg catechism, it, it's, it's drawn from that if you're familiar with those, but, but it, is, it is modern, it's approachable, and it is, um, it, it's really a series of questions and answers that are set up to give language to articulate the basic tenets of the faith. So in other words, giving a, a really foundational way to say, what does the Bible say and what does the Bible not say? 
And, and in other words, like how do we build a foundation of fundamental beliefs and tenets that, that then will be able to flesh themselves out as we encounter questions in the world about sexuality and gender or what does love mean or how do we do this or, or this big apologetics question about the existence of God? How do we, we do all of that? Uh, and, and, and again, it's when we talked about the gender situation, you know, we, we use the, the analogy, the illustration a lot about, you know, how do, you, how do they train people to spot counterfeits? Well, it's not by learning all the ways that things are counterfeited, but learning what the real deal looks like, right? That's how you spot a counterfeit is being really, 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 really familiar with the real thing. And then when you see something that's not that, it's easy to spot. And so one of the things that we need to do is be really clear on what does God say. I think we have an anemic culture of Christianity in our world because we have this, this come and consume. Listen, to, we're, we're, as churches, too often we get concerned about who can do the coolest worship, who can have the nicest lights and all the, the nicest show and the funniest pastor and the, the you know, whatever. Like, and, and meanwhile, we have an anemic people who haven't been given the substance to, to stand firm in their faith and we're just talking about feel good, you know, sermons and how-to and you know this sort of thing. We never get to the depth and the substance, and that has led to an anemic Christian culture that is unable to stand firmly. And so what we want to do is get back to, really, what are the fundamentals of our faith? So I'm, a, I'm obsessed. I grew up being obsessed with Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and so when The Last Dance came out during the pandemic, I was ate up. I was excited, and I've watched it no less than 10 times, the entire series. Uh, it's just any time that I'm like, doing something around the house, or my family's not home, that's what I default to, and I just watch it over and over, and I love it. There's a line in there where they're talking about Michael Jordan, um, and he's the best, so we'll just, we don't even need to talk about that, but, um, <laughs> but he is. And so you can be wrong if you want, but that's just the facts. Uh, but one of the things, one of the, one of the, I don't even know who said it, but he said that, that Jordan did the fundamentals better than anybody else. Now, was what Jordan did fundamental? Watch his clips. It's incredible, right? He didn't, he wasn't doing, he wasn't just doing fundamental things on the basketball court. He's doing incredible things on the basketball court. Things no one else has been able to do. But what allowed him to do those incredible things was being a master of the simple, the fundamental, and the basic things, okay? So if you've seen a kid that just wants to shoot threes all the time, because that's what Steph Curry has taught the world to do. Again, I know I'm in basketball world, but if you see a kid just wants to jack threes, that's one thing, but if they can't take the ball out of the basket and dribble to the other end of the court, they're not going to be real effective at shooting threes. Like You have to be able to do the whole game. You have to be able to do the fundamentals if you're going to be able to be good. at. So you can't just aspire to stand firm in a conversation about gender and sexuality or, or you know, the existence of God or evolution or, or all of these theories if you don't have the basics and the fundamentals to stand on. And our students, our kids that are being raised in a post-modern, post-truth world where, where really we're talking about what, 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 is, what do we feel? That's what's true. What do we feel? That's what's real. Nothing else matters. Like for us to have, like this is the world, we're, this is the water we're swimming in, right? This is the world we're in right now where it, it's not about facts or objective truths or moral truths. It's about what, what do you feel? And if, and if what I believe goes against what you feel, now not only is that my belief, but that's harmful to your belief. And, and this is what our, our kids are being shaped by and formed by in the culture. And so we need to give them the tools. If we want them to stand, and if we ourselves want to stand faithful in the midst of this moment, 
we need to make sure we have the foundation to do so. Okay? Um, here's, let's, let's just be honest about this. Like, we need to think about our priorities and what do we want for ourselves. So this is the time of year to do it, right? New Year's resolutions, we're reflecting on last year, where who do we want to be? We're, we're trying to put things in place that, you know, we're really, we, we reflect on things we don't like about ourselves, how we'd like to be better. So we're thinking about dieting, we're thinking about reading more, we're thinking about saving more, whatever it is. And those are good things, I'm not saying they're wrong. But as we think about this, like as we think about our lives and our priorities, man, let us not forsake the development of our soul, of our worldview, and of our theology. Right? Let us not forsake that. So the other day, we were going to leave, like, uh, for, for our, our Christmas trip, we'd buy our kids, we'd, we'd do a trip instead of gifts for our kids, and we are going to leave for that, and I was walking, I was packing the van, or getting, ready, getting the van ready the night before, and I was walking in, and I was like, oh man, that needs to be done in the yard, that needs to be done, to the, and I was like getting overwhelmed with all the stuff that needs to happen. Anybody else? It's like, ah, ah, you know, the list is just like, running, and I'm like, okay, like, I got to back up. Like, what's priority, right? And I'm thinking, okay, the kids are, the kids are safe. The kids are fed. Like, I, like uh, we're having fun. Like, we're, they're, they're happy. Like, invest in our marriage. Like, those are, the, those are the things. Like, yes, I need to, like, pick up that little piece of trash in the yard. I need to change the oil in the other vehicle. Like, what? A, yes, but let's start with the big, if I'm going to, if I'm going to have sanity, if I'm going to make sure my life doesn't fall apart, I got to start with the big picture things. I got to start with the most important things. We have to prioritize, right? That's part of what's leading you to make decisions right now around New Year's resolutions. It's prioritizing, right? You need to zoom out and do that with your life at large. And we need to think about the state of our souls and our homes, the spiritual state of our homes. Okay, uh, if you're familiar with the graphic of like, you know, the things we get busy with, right? There's the uh, urgent, non-important, right? And then there's the non-important, non-urgent, and then there's the, uh, you know, you know, the quadrants, right? So we can get, spend our time just in the urgent things that aren't really important, but they're urgent, so we just keep doing them, keep doing them. We never get to the things that are not urgent, but are hugely important. Why? Well, because we feel like we have time. We feel like we can get to those later. Here's the deal. Like we need to be thinking now about the formation of our souls so that we can stand on the day whenever it comes, when, when suffering comes, when questioning comes. And particularly for those of us with kids, we need to be thinking about the formation of their, their worldview and their hearts before the big questions come. And we need to prioritize the spiritual development of our kids. So here's what I know to be true. Almost, like, all of us want our kids to be good kids. We want our kids to be moral kids, not sleeping around, not doing drugs, that, that sort of thing, right? We want our kids to be good kids. But oftentimes we also, like, we don't want our kids to be weird kids, do we? And so we try to avoid that, and, and we don't want our kids to stand out. Right? But, but here's the thing. So what that does is that leads to this softening of like, well, as long as they're like a pretty good kid, like we kind of coast, we kind of let it go or, you know, and our aspirations are really just general morality. And so as long as they're, you know, they're running with a good crowd of friends, they're running whatever, like we don't get too worked up. But here's the deal, like the culture's coming at them 
and bringing big picture questions before them. Right, big picture questions. It was Colin Hansen that said, somebody asked him about like, why would he catechize his kids? Why would he do that? And he said, well, listen, uh, somebody's going to. Okay, somebody's discipling my kids. Somebody's discipling me. Somebody's discipling, uh, like, wouldn't you prefer to be in control of that? Wouldn't you prefer to shape that biblically with a worldview? And so that's what's happening. You need to know that, that, that the media that they're hearing, the things, the conversations. I was in Target yesterday picking up a last-minute Christmas gift for a, a you know, postponed Christmas party at 8 in the morning at Target, hearing two guys talk about transitioning as, as men and, and being accepted as that, you know, transitioning from. I, I'm not even totally sure what the conversation was, but, but, but listen, your kids are going to be raising questions. If, they, if they're watching YouTube at all, which it's you know, debatable as to whether they should, but I don't, know what, like, I don't know what flagged this in my algorithm, but when I pull a YouTube video to watch, whether it's hunting or working out or, or you know, a sermon or whatever, I keep seeing at the top right this quiz about like, how gay are you or are you gay? Like, that's what's being put in front of your kids. This perpetual, like, current in the culture is forming a people. It's for, how do you think we got here? Right? The, the culture has been forming a people who were prepared for this day to lead this uprising of strange gender and sexuality things, right, that we've, we've covered, we talked about, but... but Somebody is forming our hearts and our souls, and we need to make sure that it is us, that it is God's word, and we need to be countering. So we actually, so here's, we need to think about this. What is our greatest priority for our kids? Do we just want them to be good kids that don't stand out too much, don't get made fun of, don't look silly, like, Whatever. We don't, and listen, I'm not trying to make light of that. Nobody wants their kids to be socially left out. That's heart's painful. Kids are mean, right? Bullies are real. Nobody wants that. But we need to think about what is our greatest priority for our kids. And as we're reading the Bible, we actually should want to be raising kids that stand out. Not for just being weird, right? Not for just being whatever, but we should be wanting to raise kids that stand out because they're standing firm, because they're standing up for what God has called, you know, how God has called them to live. But if we want them to be able to stand out, be sanctified, set apart in the world, we need to give them the foundation to stand on. Okay? So not only is this commanded to, hey, make sure you're discipling in your home, make sure you have conversations in your home, I think it's at a critical moment for us as a people. So that's the why behind this um, emphasis this year. Uh, and there'll be some additional things that we're talking about as far as family discipleship. We just want to start here. We want to give this, I think it's low-hanging, like really low bar of entry into family discipleship. And so that's the why behind it. Um, the what is simply, again, um, you know, a set of questions and answers that form up a foundation of the basic tenets of our faith. And so... Um, you'll see there's, there's books in the lobby. There is a free app. You can go to New City Catechism and download that app. Um, we will link some stuff on our app. We'll send out some weekly emails with some additional resources on there. On the app, there's prayers, there's songs, there's commentaries, further explanation of these things, but it's simply questions and answers that help set up our children to ha- and, and us. I, I keep, listen, you need to know this. There's gonna be a lot of, there's gonna be an emphasis on this for families, 
And we're talking a lot about this forming our kids, but don't let that make you think this is just for kids. Okay, this is very much for uh, adults. This is very much for not only adults with kids, but it's very much for adults in general. Um, here's what I've also observed. There's a lot of good, faithful men and women in the church, not just our church, but in church in general, that have grown up in church that never were really discipled, were never really developed in their theology, and, and you get to a certain point, you've been around long enough, that can become a source of embarrassment, can't it? Where men or women have been around church long enough and they've never really grown in their faith and they don't have the basics, they've never been discipled, probably isn't their fault, even nobody discipled them, but, but, but then when you get to a place where you're, you, it's, it's awkward or embarrassing to admit that, we have a lot of people who are hiding on the margins and actually have a really shallow faith and never been developed and grown into, never moved on from the milk that the writer of Hebrews talks about onto the meat, the substance of our faith. And I know that there's a lot of adults that that's just, that's true of. You've stalled out, never really learning to, to study the Bible, never really learning to, uh, you know, understand and read systematic theology. And this leads to just passing that on, right? Or staying stagnant with the Lord. We pass that on to our families. And so this is an awesome opportunity for you to catch up. This is an awesome opportunity to just re-pour a foundation that will allow you to grow exponentially as much as you want. The beauty of this catechism is it's simple enough. Turn on the kids version, it's like a four or five word answer or you're just a short sentence answer. Right? You, you flip it over to the adult version, it's a little bit longer, and then there's more resources to go even further beyond that. And so it's flexible enough to be both for you know, the young two, three-year-olds, but also for any adult. So uh, Martin Luther is a great reformer that um, you know, was so central to the Reformation, and, and he's pastoring a church, a, a big church, and, and he's writing. I, one guy estimated that, that he was writing a substantive piece of literature every three weeks in his adult life. He's just a, he's a beast of a man. It's doing incredible work. And yet, one of the things he said is, he says, though I'm a profound doctor and advanced in my study, he's not afraid, you know, if I do say so myself, right? He's, you know, I, I'm advanced. I've, 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 he's, he was training to be a monk whenever he realized, right, that the Catholic Church wasn't teaching the gospel, that, and he's the one that wrote the 95 Thesis, you know, nailed him up to the to the door of the church at, at Wittenberg, like this, this is that guy. So he's trained to be a monk, he's, he's schooled, he's educated, and now he's, he's, that, that led him to this ravenous search of the scriptures that led him to you know, lead out in the Reformation. This is that guy. So he says, so I'm profound doctor and, and advanced in my study. I have not yet advanced beyond the Catechism or beyond the Ten Commandments, beyond the Apostles' Creeds, beyond the Lord's Prayer. He says, I say them every day with my kids. Um, Dude, I mean, this is, this is a guy who's preaching on average five times a week, administering a large church, again, writing furiously at the center of the, of the Reformation, um, and yet he took the time amid, uh, amid all of that busyness to teach his children the catechism. In fact, um, it was customary for him to open the doors of the monastery where he lived and invite all the children from the town to study the catechism with him. So this is something that that, that guy, right? So if you start to think that you're too busy to prioritize something like this in your life, I would submit to you that you need new priorities. 
If you're too busy to prioritize the formation, the discipleship of your own heart, your own soul, your own family, then you need to reevaluate your priorities. So uh, this is not just for kiddos and families with kiddos. The other thing that is beautiful about this is doing this together as a rhythm binds us as a church. It binds us together as a people. It forms us together. This is not going to be, this is so simple. And it's not going to replace community group discussions. I, I hope that it, it leads to some discussions within community groups, but it won't be your primary content. It's just something that we should all be doing. So we're going to be asking a question. Hey, what is our only hope in life and death? Right? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. Right? And so we, we, we're just quizzing each other for fun. We're talking about it. We're talking about how that, that seeped into our everyday life. We're sharing conversations. We're encouraging one another. And, and doing this as a church creates a counterculture that equips and sends out disciples that are ready to stand in, in the formative currents of the culture. So I'm really excited to, to have an intentional um, approach to just the formative nature of who we are as the journey that anybody can jump in at. At any point, they're stepping in here with us. And it's not like they got to st- wait till next year to start with us. Like This is just part of what we'll be doing, and it's simple. It's so uh, it, you, can, you can just ask the questions and the answers. You can begin to memorize. You can memorize the scripture. You can study more. There's, there's levels to it that are so flexible. So I'm excited about that from a, from a standpoint of who we are as adults. So don't think of this as just something for the kids or for families with kids. But here's the, here's the question. Here's the practical question. How? What does this actually look like? Um, I, I want you to hear Deuteronomy again. I want you to think what... I want you to try to picture the way that the instruction that is being commanded here is happening. Like, actually let your mind, if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. Like, picture how. And I want you to be thinking, like, is this school setting and desk with lecture style or is it conversation? Like, I want you to picture this, okay? So he says, verse seven, you shall teach these things diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. What, what, what kind of discipleship is that? Is that, hey, come to this class, sit and listen to me talk for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, you know, one-on-one. Like, no, what, what's going on? This is dialogical, organic in the midst of life, as you go, sort of discipleship. It says, as you go about your life, make sure that you're always talking about who God is, what he's done, who we are as a result of belonging to him, who, what he's called us to do. Like, just make it, it could sound like, man, well, we just got to be talking about it all the time. Okay, well, have we, have we, Okay, well, we, we walked to the car. Did we talk about it? We got to start back over, go back to the front. We got to talk about, you know, we got to talk about the catechism on the way to the car. No, it, it's, not this, it's not this overbearing checklist. It's this permeating shift in our life where we just begin to talk freely about our faith and how it impacts our life. One of the most freeing things for me, and I know I've shared this before, but um, Dr. Paul David Tripp, on one of his older parenting uh, Bible studies. Some of y'all did this with us several years ago here at the church, but he talked about one of our primary jobs when our kids are young is just to create awe of God for them. Just to find ways to consistently point to the glory of God and create a sense of awe. 
And so he's like, I do that. He's like, he, for him, he bakes bread. I don't bake bread. I baked brownies last night out of a box. I followed instructions, but I don't bake bread. Uh, but listen, we can talk about the glory of God and some brownies, right? Amen? It's freaking good. God gave us that gift. He didn't have to. You know that? We could still be eating manna. It's boring and bland, right? No, we got brownies. We got steak. We got good stuff. And we could talk about that because that's one of the things he said is he likes to bake bread. And so he's talking about yeast. And so as he's baking bread with his kids, he's talking about the power of yeast. So this small little, you know, whatever it is, grain, you know, like how it causes the bread to expand. He talks about like that's that's God's glory right there in the power of yeast. He talks about the, the pesky dandelions that come up through concrete, like through a crack in the concrete. How are they growing? I don't know, but that's the glory of God to create such a resilient, frustrating weed, right? So just those sorts of things to point to the glory of God. Fingerprints. Everybody knows how unique they are. We talk about this practically, identifying power. Like he says, turn that into the glory of God consistently be talking. And so this is what uh, Moses is, is, is pushing us toward. This is what we're talking about is, hey, let's redeem our time as a family. If we don't fill our instruction, our conversations, the world will. There will be plenty of things to talk about, but we need to redeem our time and get back to this conversational, um, organic, not in the sense that there's not intentionality, okay? Sometimes we, sometimes we want an organic faith, so we don't really want to be, inten- we don't want to plan anything, we just want it to come at it, whatever. Listen, if we don't have an intentional course, we'll veer off course, right? We don't have intentional, like, rails to run on, we'll, we'll veer off course. So it's not this organic in the sense of, well, don't plan anything, just let it come, and if your kids bring it up, then you talk, like, listen, that's what's being sold right now. I think a famous athlete who has a, a, a son that grew up, you know, to, to transition from one gender to another, it, like, was asked, like, on a red carpet event, hey, what, what parenting advice do you have? He said, well, I think it's just, you know, our job as parents is just to help our kids discover where they want to go and, and, and go there with them. I'm going to tell you, I got a two-year-old that just wants to die every day. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. He's nuts. If I just let him go where he wants to go, we're all, we're, and I go there with him, we're both dead. Like, he's nuts. Like, our job as parents is, is, is not to just let our kids discover where they want to go and go there with them. Like, I'm not saying, like, you, you, you got to hear what I'm not, you, you can't hear what I'm not saying there. Like, yes, help cultivate who God has made your kid to be. Absolutely. Don't be oppressive in nature as far as they got to do this as a job. They got, but, but as far as morally, as far as like there's absolutes about our life and our faith and who we are in God's image that we don't, we don't just let, like there's danger. In the same way you don't let your kid play in a road, you don't let them begin to believe these things or learn these things from the culture. There's danger there. And so we need to be diligent about that. We need to redeem our time, redeem our homes, and begin to be formative in our homes. So... Deuteronomy paints a picture of dialogical discipleship. It's not school lecture style, but more conversation. Yes, you're teaching them truths, but you're finding ways to talk about them. You're finding ways to make them a part of our everyday comings and goings. That's what he's describing, right? Teach them diligently. So there's an intentionality. Make sure they have the content. Okay, Teach them diligently. Yes, there's information they need to learn, right? But then talk about it. 
This is what it says. You shall talk about it when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is, let me translate that for you. When, you. when you're getting out of bed and there's conversations around the breakfast table or whatever. I know it's just chaos in the morning. Who's having redeemed, redeemed conversations in the morning when you're getting kids ready for school? That's why we homeschool. It was just nuts. I'm kidding, kind of. But like, it's chaos. You're trying to get our kids ready to go anywhere. We're not having any good conversation. We're just trying not to scream at them. But, but what he's saying is, is listen, Talk about it. Teach them, but then talk about it when you're just chilling. Shut the TV off for a minute and go, hey, let's just talk about this. Hey, you're sharing your story. You're talking about it. How, how, like, do we know this? Have we talked about it? We're asking good questions. You're watching a movie and a weird thing comes up. Instead of just shutting it off and running away, which you might need to do, but follow it up with some conversations with your kids, with yourself, with your spouse. Right? Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. But most of you don't walk anywhere. What, let me just translate, when you drive in your car. Redeem that time. Begin to ask questions. When you, when you lie down, redeem bedtime. Spend some time reflecting on the day. Spend some time talking with your kiddos. This is convicting for me. I, I used to do this well with my daughters. Uh, and then my, my sons came along, and, and again, they're trying to die. And they're exhausting. And so I, like, I don't do as well with my daughters because we're all just trying to survive the day with my sons. And so I'm convicted by that. I need to get back to some good bedtime prayers, conversations, and discipleship with my daughters. Y'all can, y'all can challenge me on that. You can ask me how that's going. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you I'm not a master of this. We need to grow in this as well. But Redeem that bedtime. When you, when you lie down, when you rise, bind them as a sign on your hand and as it be as frontlets on your eyes. Write them on your doorposts. It means put them where you will see, put these truths where you will see them. Okay? Really practical here. Too often we're just like, oh, okay, that's a good. No, no, really, really practical here. Okay? Think about how can you put these truths where you will see them in your house. Okay? So one of the things we did when we, we, we launched the catechism, I think last year, um, and we got, I don't know, maybe question seven or eight, and it stayed on the board for months, right? Um, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this together as a church, so we're, we're going to do better this year. But I bought a, uh, we bought a chalkboard, and we hung it up by our dinner table, and we just write the, the catechism for that week. We write the question. We write the answer, the, the verse um, that is there, and we start out with it all on the board. And, and we, we ask the question, we memorize it, or we're, we're memorizing the question and the answer. We're seeing who can do it without looking. And then I think, you know, different families are going to have different opportunities. Maybe you can start erasing it later in the day. However you want to do it, you'll need to take this and be intentional. Maybe that's uh, putting it in note cards on your fridge or in your car or on your mirrors. Or, I, I don't know what that looks like for you. I can't do all of that for you, but find ways to put this in front of you. That's, what's, that's what Moses is saying, really practically. Put these truths in front of you. That's what he's saying. Doorposts, gates. Like, put it in, not just in pretty decor ways, that's fine too, but in ways that you prompt your conversation, that will prompt your memorization, that will prompt you to talk about it. How are you going to do that? How will you do that? I, I think this is a simple way to do it. Maybe note cards work for you. I just discovered, or my, my, I came home, my, my, my wife has started using our fridge as a whiteboard. I, it's a stainless steel front door that you can write on those with, with markers. That makes some of you cringe, but others of you are like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> write it there. I don't, like, it's where, you know, everybody's getting in the fridge all the time. Write the catechism there. You got an artistic kid, let them write it. Pretty, you know, let them draw it out. 
Find ways to get this into your family. Have your kids write it down, right? Like, I, I don't know, memorize it. Again, maybe you just get through the questions and the answers this year. Maybe you memorize the questions and the answers. Maybe you memorize the memory verse each week. You got a week. I don't think this shouldn't look like lecture style. If you got family devotion stuff in place, let this be supplemental to it. It's a question per week. It'll be rotating through our announcement slides every week. What's our question of the week at the journey? Like, I just want this to stay in front of us as a people and to be formative and to shape us. But it's going to take intentionality for us. Okay, this is not something that will happen. And listen, there's nothing magical about the catechism. It's a tool. I think it can be helpful. But it's not the end all be all. I think it's systematic. I think it's helpful to build a foundation. Uh, th- this is a big book, right? How do you know, how do you sort it all out? How, like, to just read it and memorize a random verse, it may not be helpful. This dilutes it down to essentials, tenets, framework, if you will, of our faith that can be built around. Or another way to look at it, especially with our kiddos, right, is, and I forget, uh, I think it was Richard Baxter that, that, that said this, that, that, that this can end up being the kindling of our souls, right? That this doesn't save our children. Just to work through catechism, make, make them memorize questions and answers, it's not going to save your children. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But this can be the kindling that is there for the Holy Spirit to ignite. This can sure help. Now, I didn't have any kindling. The Holy Spirit still saved me. So I don't mean to say that, 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 you know, that this is the only way your kids will be saved. But I think this ups the odds of building a foundation for them, giving them a framework for what it even means to be saved, so that when God stirs in their heart, they know they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They know that Jesus is that only Savior. They know that he saved them by going to the cross. They know the basic tenets of the faith. I think there's huge opportunities here. So spend some time this week with that book, with the app, if you need help getting the app, stop by Welcome Center. We'll help you out. Uh, we'll send some more information out about it. I got an introductory thing on the new app, the digital bulletin piece. You can hear uh, Tim Keller talk about this a bit. Um, and so spend some time this week with the tool and, and be intentional. Parents, take ownership. Kiddos, take ownership of, hey, how are we going to do this together? Again, it's a question and it's an answer and it's a scripture verse. It's super accessible but I think super formative and powerful. I'm looking forward to see what happens in not just this year, but as we take back the responsibility in our homes for the development of our discipleship of our kids, I'm looking forward to seeing what God does with that and what kind of army he raises up, both as us as adults and the kids that we're raising. Whenever we take the, the Bible seriously, and, and we bring discipleship back into the home, and we find ways to embody this commandment. I want you to think of this as a way of giving our hearts, right? It, hearts is a, right? It's, it's not a physical, it's a theory. It, it, it's this kind of, it's hard to kind of understand, but heart in scripture is the directional like part of our being, right? Where we make decisions, where what guides us. So think of this as a way of giving our hearts to God as a devotion. Uh, we know that we're being shaped, being formed by, by something, by our world at all times. So we, this is a way for us to sort of take control 
and let God's word make its impact on our life, a way of proactively giving our hearts to God and letting ourselves be shaped by the biblical worldview. Again, what I hope this does for us is give us a really good set of fundamentals that then allow us to navigate hard conversations, cultural issues. It's gonna continue to get more and more complex and crazy and weird, and right? The way to navigate that? Listen, let me just be real honest. If you spend, your, if you spend more time fussing about politics and worrying about the future of, of those sorts of out there decisions, what's happening to our culture, and you forsake the discipleship of your home and your own heart, You've totally missed the mark. I've told you before, one of the most haunting verses for me is Judges 2.10. So this is on the other side. They go into the promised land, they spend years there, and they don't do this. And in just a few generations, Judges 2.10 says, and then there arose a generation after Joshua Moses handed the reins to Joshua after Joshua. So just one generation. Then there arose a generation who did not know the Lord. That's our responsibility to make sure that, the genera- that our generation, the generation we're influencing, knows the Lord. Listen, I, and, and the beauty of all of this is this is not to be received as this hard burden and this command. All of this is an invitation. This is God saying, hey, Give yourself to me. Give yourself to the study of me. This is the greatest treasure and the richest that you can ever indulge in. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're all just like, man, this sounds like a bunch of religion. Listen, Jesus gave himself for you. He gave all of himself for you that you may be saved. That's what we talked about before communion. That's what we celebrated in communion. Start there. Give yourself to Jesus. But once you're with him, let the full gift of his love compel us to be a people who give ourselves to him in devotion. Let's find ways to get this back in our home to redeem this time. So let's, let's do this. As a church, let's do this as a people. Got questions, let us know. I'm gonna pray. The altar's open. You come and respond however the Lord is leading. Maybe that's just making a commitment on this first day of 2023. That's okay. The Lord's okay with commitment, right? Like, there's, we don't have to be you know, weird about that. Maybe you, you, maybe you got something else going on. Maybe your heart's broken and your life's falling apart. We'd love to pray with you. It doesn't have to have anything to do with this sermon. But let's be a people who respond to the good news of the gospel by offering our lives up and surrender and letting Jesus into our home and into our conversations. Let's pray. God, uh, help us. We need it. Um, I pray that you would... Help us to see the invitation that is before us. That's beyond and not just a discipline, not just a thing to do, but an invitation to joy, to strength, to embrace and stand in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Help us, Lord. I pray that people all around this room would hear the good news of the gospel that you're a God who wants to be known and wants us to know you, so much so that you came to reveal yourself to us. That's what what we just celebrated in Christmas. 
And I pray that in all of that, that's what we would hear today, is that you're a God who wants to reveal yourself. You have revealed yourself, and you want to be known by your people. May we be a people who treasure knowing you. Forgive us where we fail you, and prompt us to continue striving for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.